I decided to create an alter ego, which is the dancing man of the Anthony Wayne trail. Welcome to the Telling It Our Way podcast. I'm Becca. And I'm Allie. In this podcast, we bring you stories by disabled people about disabled people. Stories from the daily lives of self-advocates with intellectual and developmental disabilities. These are real people with complicated lives. They don't want your pity, and they don't exist to inspire you. This is not inspiration porn. So Becca, today we're talking about school and work. Yes, yeah. So both stories that we have today are about that moment of kind of shifting out of high school and into adulthood, these really, really pivotal transitions. This is something everyone goes through, right? We all graduate high school if, if we're lucky enough to go to high school. But we also know that for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities, that moving out of high school also represents this kind of big cliff this loss of services, this loss of support, this loss of community. And so that makes that transition a little bit harder for some people. You know, in the past, many people with intellectual disabilities would leave school and they would immediately be funneled into these segregated work programs or segregated day programs. But now we know people end up in lots of different spaces, you know, going to work in the community, college courses, etc. It's really awesome that we now have more opportunities for folks with intellectual and developmental disabilities to be working alongside us, but it still feels to me as if there's not enough integration. That if I'm working an office job, I'm not going to be working alongside someone with an intellectual or developmental disability. It still feels like people in that population are funneled into more physical work, more retail work, And I wonder how much of that is a choice for folks and how much of that is just this is what the program is designed to do. Oh, we're going to get into this later. Don't worry. I brought my stats with me. Fantastic. (laughs) I can't wait. But first, I think we'll start with a a story. Okay. So this first story, we're listening to Jordan, who is a young man who was bullied throughout his school experience, but through work, particularly at our local zoo, He found a way to channel his negative experiences into helping others. Let's listen. My name is Jordan, and I talk about my past experience with bullies, and I'm one of the survivors who who had a hard time talking about it. So this is my story about how I survived my bullies. I will never, never talk about my bullies in my high school. You know, you get that new look for being the new kid in high school. You're just like, who is this kid? They just give you the looks, the snars, and the mean looks. You're trying to fit in, but you just trying. So I decided to just sit by myself alone, lonesome, all that. And then that's when things started to go downhill pretty fast, pretty quick. No matter where you go to, each class you go, there's a bully and his goonies just came up and just trying to gain up on you and just, you makes me want to do something after I hear all the insults he just says to you. But in the back of my mind, I know two people that I admire are just like, don't do it, you'd be nothing more like them. So I just, just took the insults and just, it's really hard to 
get through all those and then that's the school prom I thought it might change things up a bit then a certain someone just asked me for a slow dance there and thought it might help but suddenly she graduated and then the bully starts back up again and then another girl who became my friend of me and then <laughs> she adores Batman a lot so we just call her Batgirl and then graduation came up, say, June or July of 2011. And don't worry, there's no eye poke out where we toss our hats in the air. I put it on to graduates. And then, but during my high school days, I decided to volunteer at the zoo. That's how I got involved with the Toledo Zoo. It goes for many names of Toledo Zoo, but now it's called Toledo Zoo and Aquarium. And then I know some of the kids are like, ooh, I didn't know he's worked there. <laughs> so we, the zoo teens show up at, the, at my school, and I was wearing my zoo teen uniform under my school uniform. <laughs> and I've been with them ever since 2007. And then I started to look for a job. My first stop is at U First. Uh, you know, I'm by the Antique Mall, and his name is a nice man, and I thought my bully days is done, but then it just starts back up again. He just jumps on me for no apparent reason. Like, every time I just, like, mind my own business, and then it happens, and then injuries happens over, like, I was doing this picnic table, I just got a cut, they have no first aid in it, so I had to go MacGyver on my wounds, like, come on! And then on top of one of my doing my practice, so I just like I had enough. And I just like uncooked all that bottled up inside. Just like you know what, I am sick and tired of all of this. You know, I just like give up. I just like give us the good send off, drop the mic, and I just left. And then I had to look for a different job, which is I tried um, Rosenblum Farms. This is a nice family over there, and then the two to three years, and then they just decided to retire, and then I moved on to Nature's Nursery. Nice folks. And then I decided to get a job at the Toledo Zoo since I volunteer over there. It took me four to five, six times, and I finally got the job as park operations. I've been there ever since 2017 as an employee. And when you do parking lot at Anthony Wayne, not the Broadway one, but the Anthony Wayne is the most craziest. So it was like all quiet. I was like, where's the music? Because all zoos some has some music by the light post. So I decided to create an alter ego, which is the dancing man of the Anthony Wayne trail. So I just put some shades on a hat and my two Bluetooth speakers. It just create finds a like a playlist for it has that move and a groove at least it has a beat rhythm and it's clean every time i move it and groove i get like people laughing just like try to copy my fingers just like directing and i get happy call honks for people like thank you and then i heard like a mom is like thanks for cheering up my daughter because She's having a bad day, but when she saws you dancing, she just cracks up and just brights her day. And she just gave me a hug as a result. Anyway, for all the results I've been through and the 
the bullies, but I'm proud for who I am. So for everyone who's suffering at high school, don't let that get you down. Just be for who you are and trust someone like a grown-up, even your parents. So be who you are, proud for who you are. Thanks, Jordan, for sharing that story. I love the fact that he was able to find a way to integrate his creativity into his workplace. Yeah, absolutely. And and maybe some of you have seen Jordan out there in the Anthony Wayne parking lot. And I can't help but think that he developed so much creativity as a way to deal with the fact that he was being bullied in high school. And so I looked this up because I wanted to find out more about the experience of bullying. And so I found a report by UNESCO in 2021, and they cite that internationally, students with disability, regardless of country, class, or race, are more likely to be bullied, and that the worst time for this is at the ages 13 to 15. Mm, So kind of right at the cusp of high school. Yeah, and then in another uh, report in the School Psychology Quarterly, they used two big national data sets, and they found that the prevalence rate of bullying for students with intellectual disability uh, ranged from about 24% in elementary school, so one in four people, to about one in three people in middle school. Yeah, you know, I saw these statistics and I was thinking about it, and I think one of these problems that we have, this really persistent problem, is that while most students with intellectual disabilities are in general education schools, so in the public schools, it's well over 90%, they're often segregated inside of those schools. And so there's a real kind of social division between students with and without disabilities. So I think, you know, often students without disabilities can go most of their school career without really ever speaking to a person with an intellectual disability, even though they're kind of in these parallel classrooms. And I think that social divide just makes for more opportunities for mocking people or making jokes as you see people walking in the halls or people who are often, you will often see people with intellectual disabilities working in the lunchroom or something like this. So the the few moments where people get a chance to interact, I think, can actually exacerbate some of this problem of bullying. And when you do have those normal, normative able-bodied students interacting, it sometimes is because of a program like, at, I remember at my high school, there was something called Key Club. And those students were students who were very ambitious, wanted to go to elite colleges, and they knew that they needed to have, quote unquote, charity mm. on their resumes, right? And so the motivation for working with folks with intellectual disability was not always because they wanted to get to know somebody with an intellectual disability. It was more because they wanted to have a line on their resume. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think even that is better than, I I looked this up, in 2018, Ohio State did a (laughs) a study about this, that 57% of people with intellectual disabilities spend less than 40% of their school day in a general education classroom. And that includes about 8% of people who are never in a general education classroom and so are never interacting with their peers without disabilities. It really boggles my mind that we have only had federal legislation in place since 1976 that even said people with intellectual disabilities deserve an education, right? So when my mom was growing up, 
she had uh, her aunt Joyce, who was just a year older than she was, had intellectual disabilities, and she was not able to get the same kind of education that my mom was able to get. And I think that actually really inspired my mom to go into special education once that became a field and she was able to get a master's degree in that in the 80s. But 1976. And, you know, not to bring a downer on all the great things that 1976 brought us with that legislation, but the amount of integration in classrooms, it's been kind of stagnant since the 90s. So there was this kind of big push for integration and inclusion. And then I guess we're kind of done with that now. Right. What what led to that stagnation? You know, I, I don't know. I think that would be a good thing to see if there's more information out there. I know. I mean, some of the things that were happening in the late 1990s would be the no child left behind, the focus on test scores and, you know, public schools that needed to have higher test scores in order to get funding. Right. Mm-hmm. So you're being penalized and getting less funding if you have lower test scores, which then is motivation to exclude people with intellectual disability from the mainstream so that they don't have those test scores in their statistics. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think we could talk about this all day, but I actually want to pivot now from school to work. And so Jordan did that so beautifully in his story. So we're going to have a second story now from Zoe, who is going to tell us a little bit about her first job and how she's really excellent at it. I can't wait. I work as a routine at the Toledo Zoo and Aquarium. I've been a zoo teen since 2020. I do a lot of things there. I work on grounds and do concessions. I also work snoozes. Little kids come to the zoo to stay the night. I work from 5.30 to 10. At night, at snoozes, I get a radio. I use the radio to contact people. And when it says volunteer education 3, that means it's on. And if we need security, we turn on that channel. It's a big responsibility to have the radio. We help serve the kids pizza. When we're done eating pizza, we take the pizza to security. I like my job. I like having my Zootine friends around. I think they're amazing. We wear yellow shirts. Staff wear blue shirts. I want to tell this story because I'm very good at my job and I want to keep doing it. Thanks to Zoe for sharing her story about her work. And what I love here is that Zoe is not shy about talking about her strengths. I think so many young women disabled or not, are just taught to be humble and to not talk about your strength. And that is no way to get a job, to get a raise, to get promoted, right? You need Mm -hmm. to talk about your strengths. And I love that Zoe is so willing to do that. Yeah, absolutely. So both Jordan and Zoe talk about having work in their community. And so 
again, me being me, I went to look up some of the statistics on how many people with intellectual disabilities are actually working in their community. So again, I turned to the the National Core Indicators, another shout out. Um, and it what, what it says for the most recent survey is only 15% of people with intellectual and developmental disabilities have paid work in their communities. And of that group, you know, about 25% of them are either working in group settings. So you take a group of people with intellectual disabilities, you bring them in to clean the office, and then you bring them out. Or in businesses that only hire people with disabilities. It's really interesting that some of the ways that folks in the research field remember the fields that people with intellectual disabilities are working in is through the five Fs. So food, flowers, filth, filing, and factories. Yeah, right. So I think this comes back to your your point earlier in, in the, the podcast, talking about the kinds of work that I think it's now become an expectation that these are the kinds of work that people with intellectual disabilities do, regardless of whether that's the kind of work they want to be doing. Yeah, so 27% are in food prep or food service. Twenty, And, you know, that's not really the, the customer-facing food service, right? That's often bussing the table. So you're not necessarily getting that interaction with the public. 25% in retail and 21% on grounds cleaning or building cleaning. Mm -hmm. And we know for a fact that disabled workers are much less likely to be working full time, much less likely to be receiving benefits. And actually eight out of 10 disabled people aren't in the labor force at all, either employed or unemployed and actively looking for work. And I know that, and this is a much larger discussion for another episode about benefits and living on social security, but you're penalized for earning above a certain amount of money. So many people with disabilities cannot work even close to full time Mm -hmm. without losing the benefits that they need to survive, basically. And the other thing that I think is something I really did not know until well into adulthood is that it's still legal to pay people with intellectual disabilities sub-minimum wage. Yes, yes. And there are about 1,000 businesses across America that currently pay less than minimum wage to about 35,000 disabled workers. And what kind of like businesses would those be? Like who who has access to these disabled workers who can they, they can pay, you know, a dollar an hour or for piecework or that kind of thing? Well, so th- there's a lot of kind of different businesses that use this model. But traditionally, we would expect to see this in a sheltered workshop, which is a business that really only employs people with intellectual disabilities. And they're often doing that kind of piecemeal work, right? If you make 10 widgets in an hour, we'll pay you five cents a widget. Yeah. And so I'm looking here, uh, the Commission of Civil Rights uh, cited in 2020 that the average wage for a disabled worker was $3.34 an hour. And the number of hours they worked was 16 hours. So that's not getting you very far towards paying rent. Right. That's about $200 per month when you when you add it all up. So there's still a lot of work to do in in terms of of employment, particularly for people with intellectual disabilities, but for disabled workers more generally. And it comes from the ableist assumption that people with intellectual disabilities are not going to be able to do work as well or as as much work as the able-bodied person. And so therefore, we're just going to pay them less because they're worth less. Their labor is worth Mm -hmm. less. And when you think about it, when you think about how retail works, for instance, how 
fast does a retail worker have to work? How, what is necessary as part of that job? And what is just an unnecessary expectation? Mm-hmm. Right. And all of the kind of soft skills that get totally undervalued in, in that sort of distinction, right? So the, the Fair Labor Standards Act, which allows for this sub-minimum wage, it, it's measuring kind of the work that you would do on a factory line, right? Which is just not how we work in, in modern society. No. And I do think about how many people, whether you're disabled or not, waste time at work. Right. <laughs> I mean, we've all been guilty of going down the the YouTube hole uh, while we're at our offices. Right. And so I don't think we should be focusing on productivity at all mm-hmm. in terms of thinking about how much we pay our workers. But luckily, there's been a ton of policy work and activism around changing this law. And so hopefully we will not see any sub-minimum wage in the very near future. Yeah, I can't wait to learn more from those activists and what is successful in their strategies for organizing. So before we end, I want to thank our contributors, Jordan and Zoe, our associate producer, Connor Smenner, and our Telling It Our Way advisory board members, Joe Rita Fox, Quinn Thomas, and Gavin Daly. And special thanks to WGTE and our producer, Chris Pfeiffer. To access transcripts for this show and any other show notes, please visit WGTE.org slash Our Way. I'm Allie Day. And I'm Becca Monsalione. And you've been listening to Telling It Our Way. WGTE. Voices around us. WGTE is supported in part by American Rescue Plan Act funds allocated by the City of Toledo and the Lucas County Commissioners and administered by the Arts Commission.